Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and you are in for a real treat today because I have with me Eden Jalot. Hope I pronounced that right. You did. Good. And she is the president of Jalot Communications, and she is going to visit with us today, generally around crisis PR, but I think it's going to be a much wider discussion. So, Eden, first of all, with that incredibly long-winded introduction, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Thanks for having me. I was wondering if you could detail for us your professional background and then the work of your company. So personally, my professional background, I was raised by somebody who used to be a reporter at the Associated Press. So when he decided to go to what we lovingly call the dark side, we went to the dark, dark side of PR and we only deal with crisis. So I was raised from a very early age to be the person that everyone comes to when they have some sort of drama, gossip, they don't know what to do and they want direction. But I did get formal training by studying crisis communications and PR, both at NYU and Harvard. And I've been running this business for about 11 years now, almost 12, no 11. So unfortunately, this is something that is becoming not only more important for every corporation in America, but for individual executives in these corporations. And as you know, many of my listeners are in the compliance profession And doubly, unfortunately, a lot of companies are still in the headlines for compliance and ethics failure. So with that, I was wondering, what do you describe as a PR crisis? What I describe as a crisis is anything that is threatening your reputation in a way that you interrupt your business and the business flow and how you generally operate. So a lot of times we'll see things like sexual harassment allegations, anything with investigations, right? So SEC investigations, anything with the FDA, any recalls, anything having to do with natural disasters. Unfortunately, I'm in Texas, so our minds have turned to El Paso and Dayton, Ohio, as the most recent instances where there have been a lot of people killed with firearms. And companies are not only thinking about that Mm -hmm. differently now, but they're also thinking about how do we deal with the fallout for businesses that deal with firearm companies? Or how do we deal with the fallout of employees on social media that we find out have engaged in at least red flag behavior? And so I was wondering how you would help a company perhaps think through talking to the media in a time where there's just incredible tragedy and incredible sorrow, yet a company could face a significant reputational hit something that may be pretty far outside of their hands. So whenever there is a incident where there's loss of life, especially with the, the mass loss of life in both of those instances, you have to express sorrow and empathy and not make light of the fact that people have lost their lives. But you also have to think about your company's key messages and goals in terms of employees getting flagged for behavior that doesn't align with their goals, right? So you have to think about whenever you're crafting your messages, or strategy. Yes, you want to react in the short term, but you also have to think about the long-term impact of your actions. So one of the things that struck me was when I was uh, researching you and your website, you have a lot of information on your website. You have uh, FAQs, you have blog posts, you have a couple of video interviews you've done up. And one key theme seemed to be is be prepared. 
be prepared for a crisis? How do you help not only a compliance professional, but a senior executive team who's got a lot of other things going on? How do you help them to be prepared? And can you be prepared for this type of crisis? So yes and no. You can be prepared in so much that in most of our industries, we can start thinking about the things that are most likely to happen, right? You don't, when people think about getting prepared, I think they get the overwhelm of thinking, well, how am I going to prepare for every single possible thing that happens? For example, in the food industry, you can think about having you know, anything having to do with recalls or contamination or customers alleging contamination in the food or in having to do with children, thinking about the instances that might go wrong with anything having to do with childcare. And just really thinking about, well, if something were to happen, what would be your responses? And so a lot of times people will come up with holding statements or things that are good placeholders for the immediate once something happens that will tell everyone roughly you're taking care of the situation, you're looking into it, and you will get back to them as soon as possible. So it's really having those placeholders just to put a pin in the situation while you gather all the facts because the last thing you want to do during a crisis is actually to rush out armed with misinformation. It can make a situation worse. So in the compliance world, one of the things we try to counsel is that if information bubbles up, whether that be through a employee hotline, an anonymous report, a tip, someone walks in their supervisor's office, that that information be routed to people who can make the decisions on the level of risk and the steps to take. Does that same mm-hmm. sort of process work uh, in uh, PR to get the information to those who can make a decision, who can talk to the press? who can articulate the company's message going forward? Yes. So it is very important to make sure that the vital information does get up to the people that are the decision makers as for the spokesperson, right? So usually we're brought in and we're working hand in hand with the legal counsel. And so it's making sure that whatever we have or counsel the client to say goes through legal to make sure that we aren't getting anyone in any more legal hot water and really training that spokesperson and giving them the language to then go out to their different stakeholders and deliver the message. So what are some of the typical mistakes companies make either before or during a crisis and how can a compliance professional help avoid them? So some of the typical reasons that people end up getting into a crisis is the lack of communication or a mismatch in expectations. So it's really being as transparent as possible during situations such as these. I mean, there is a difference between telling everyone everything. You don't have to tell your audiences every little bit of information, but it is making sure that everyone has the facts needed in order to make an educated decision. Another reason that we see crises happen or things that make it worse is someone saying, it's not my job during a crisis situation. It's an all hands on deck situation. So everyone needs to step up. A lot of times we also see people believing that something is too small to get noticed. This often happens when money goes missing. It's another reason why people get either into trouble or a crisis becomes even worse. Another thing that we really talk about and try to emphasize is if you can't practice something, at least have a protocol in place so people know where to go, who to call, who to engage before that, as you would say, it hits the fan so that you're not trying to make it up as you go. How can you help a company think through the preparation they need to engage in? So both the compliance people and also myself, we can go into an organization and look at the different steps that are going to need to take place. Because when a crisis hits, usually people feel very rushed and panicked. And it's really nice to step back, take a breath and realize that at least you have a basic framework of these are the people that are on your crisis team. These are the different channels and these are the different ways to get a hold of them. 
and especially having protocol, knowing, walking you through, even though some people may think it's really mundane and that they know it deep down, once a crisis happens, it's amazing how your brain will forget certain things. So it's really good to have a detailed plan in place. You started this podcast by really saying that you're the person or you're the company people call when it all hits the fan. But I was wondering, do you have some clients that you've been able to work with on a counseling basis to get them ready for such a situation so that the first thing they're doing is not calling you, but they're actually going through a protocol that you've helped them establish? Yes, actually, there is thankfully a growing number of people that have or organizations that are becoming more and more proactive to realize there are actually usually people who have been burned by a crisis beforehand, but we have gone in and set up these protocols in place. And usually one of the first things that we say in the protocol is to call their attorneys because usually the situations that we're called in on have a large legal aspect. So one of the things that social media seems to me has done is really amplified messages. Obviously that can be good. That can be bad. In a crisis, it can be catastrophic. If you put out the wrong message and that's amplified, you can get sustained serious reputational damage. But I was wondering, how should companies use social media during a crisis? And as a follow-up, how should companies prevent social media posts from precipitating a crisis? So in order to use social media during a crisis, you want to make sure that you communicate with your audiences as you normally do, right? So we have some clients that usually don't have a social media presence. And when a crisis happens, they're like, well, maybe we should jump on Instagram and Snapchat and Twitter and all these different things. I'm saying, well, if you don't have a base already there and they're not used to getting their information from you that way, then don't use social media. One key tip actually for a lot of organizations is to go through before anything happens and to actually claim your social media account beforehand, because we've actually seen several instances where we've gone into organizations, they've gone through a crisis, they didn't have their accounts already saved or earmarked, and people will actually make phony ones claiming to be them. In terms of how to stop a social media post from precipitating a crisis, one of the things, key tip is think before you post, have a second set of eyes, look at it and go, you know, how might this be misperceived at all? Another thing is I know some people will actually set up social media posts well in advance of their social media strategy. And there are instances where something will happen in the news, for example, one of these shootings. And at the time when you had written one of your social media posts, the timing of it coming out may make it look like you're making light of a situation. So you said something in there that really intrigued me, which was put a second set of eyes on something. Oversight is a key component of any process. Having independent oversight, or uh, my wife is a process engineer, so she continually reminds me a second set of eyes is necessary. And you talked about that in context of the message, but also just the overall protocol that you have in place. Do you really advocate that second set of almost independent eyes? Yes, the second set of eyes, it's even better if the person's independent, one, because they're able to be objective, but also because when we're in the process, and this has to do with almost anything, not necessarily a crisis, but a lot of things are just so second nature to you and you're just like, well, in my head, this makes sense. But when you have somebody who's a second set of eyes, who's not living in your brain or in the same organization that isn't subjected and used to all the same things that you are, it's good to say, hey, here are the blind spots in whatever process you have. So one of the formative events in my life was the Watergate hearings, and certainly the concept that the cover-up is always worse than the original crime is something that has stuck with me since that time. And I've heard you say that lying is worse than 
the original sin. And I was wondering if those concepts are similar, but what did you mean by that statement? So there are a few absolute no-nos in crisis PR, and lying is just one of them because, as you were saying, it's worse than the original thing that got you into trouble. So the reason that this is is because a lie is always going to come back and bite you, and your credibility will just end up spiraling down along with your reputation. And if you think about all the blood, sweat, and tears that you've used to build up your reputation, if you're then caught as a liar, it just negates anything that you say in the future. People are always going to say, well, why should I believe you now? One of the things that really struck me about some of your early remarks was about aligning the company's values. And there are numerous stakeholders in every corporation, obviously the shareholders, board of directors, senior management, customers, clients, third parties, vendors, but they're also employees. Mm -hmm. And employees want to be invested in the values and they want a sense of institutional fairness and institutional justice. How do all of those concepts sort of wrap into how you would advise a company to talk to its own employees about a crisis? So employees are one of the stakeholder groups that are often forgotten in a crisis, which is unfortunate because without great employees backing up your company, your company may cease to exist. But one of the things that you can do, and this goes for employees and all your other stakeholders, is when you're crafting your messages, thinking about it from their perspective. And their perspective will always be, how does this affect me? So you always want to make sure that you can craft your messages with that as your North Star in terms of delivering it and also thinking about how they might panic or misinterpret things. You want to make sure that you're reassuring them. One of the groups we have not specifically addressed, but we've also touched on, is the board of directors. And I've often heard the board's role is to keep their nose out, but their finger on the pulse. So what's the role of the board of directors in a crisis situation? So the primary role of the board, just in general, is to think about the big picture, right? You're establishing the overall strategy. And as you were saying, right, they have to keep their fingers on the pole. So while management and the staff are supposed to do the executing of it, it's really important that board members don't just dial it in, dial in the role and don't pay attention to the details. So during a crisis, even though they are supposed to be removed yet also in the middle of it all, they have to make sure, as I was saying earlier, it's an all hands on deck situation during a crisis. A board member, if someone comes up to you in the media as a board member and says, you know, like, did you know about X, Y, and Z? As a board member, you are not allowed to say, I don't know, because it makes it look like you didn't know something that you were supposed to. Eden, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time, but I was wondering if any of the listeners wanted to follow up with you or wanted more information on Jalot Communications, how could they do so? You can find us at our website, jalotcommunications.com. I also write for Forbes, so you can find me that way. Those are probably the two best ways to find me. Well, this has been a fascinating exploration of a topic that, unfortunately, most compliance professionals are not as aware of, but it's not a question of if but when. So thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me. Thank you, Tom. If you're a compliance professional looking for a convenient and effective way to fulfill your continuing education requirements, go to fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses and choose from four hour-long training packages that will keep you current. That's fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses.